0: through what is called the farewell discourse of Jesus. Uh, This is from John chapter 13 to John chapter 17. We're working our way through all the four chapters. And in these chapters, we have for us what Jesus taught his disciples just before he was arrested and crucified. And uh, last week, we began with John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. And we're going to continue with the same passage this week as well. Allow me to read that for us. It'll come up for us on screen as well. John chapter 15,
1: verses 1
0: to 11. I am the true wine, Jesus said, and my father is a wine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I am supposed to Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is is that bears fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6 if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and with us, and branches and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. By in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. This is the second week that we are spending in this passage. Uh, last week, as we began walking through this passage, we saw that there are only two types of branches. Branches that are fruitful, that God prunes so that they would be even more fruitful. That's the first type of branch. And the second kind of branch, branches are the branches that don't abide in Jesus the wine and are not fruitful, and are there, therefore taken away and thrown into the fire and burned. Last week we looked at the branches that are fruitful, that abide in Christ the wine that are fruitful and that are pruned by God so that they become even more fruitful. And this week, and I gave you a fair warning last week, that you're going to be looking this week at branches that don't abide in Christ, that, are, that wither away, that are thrown away, and burnt. And I hope this passage is making us um, at least a little uncomfortable untruthful branches are thrown into the fire and burned. Not pruned, as we saw last week, for branches that are Christ, not pruned, but burned in the fire. We cannot gloss over this. We cannot walk past this. We need to pay attention to this body. The Bible is this, is not a book of rules, though it does have some rules. Uh, the Bible is primarily not a book of moral values, though it does have some moral values. The Bible is primarily
1: a narrative of how God sent His Son Jesus to save sinners
0: who repent. So the Bible is primarily a book that offers hope to the world. But even as it offers hope, the Bible is also a book of warning. It's a book of hope and it's a book of warning. The Bible is a book of hope because to those who repent and believe in Christ, God offers forgiveness and transformation here and now and eternal life with Him after death. But the Bible is also a book of warning because to those who do not repent of their sins, to those who reject and his offer of forgiveness, there is eternal punishment. And the Bible calls that hell. Uh, in our culture, village, that's a very uncomfortable word. It's a very controversial one. But it's something we must consider because God's word calls us. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, Jesus said, he's thrown away like a branch with withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned branches being thrown into the fire as a direct reference uh, to hell. The moment I said the word hell, I could hear a hundred silent objections. Of all the truths of the Bible, it is the truth of hell that the people find it really hard. Explorers. Uh, those who are just curious about Jesus, or people who are just first time in church, like some of you perhaps are, um, and we're kind of just getting to know, maybe you're here, because a friend invited you. We have a worldview that, that a loving God, how could a loving God allow him, leave alone, create him? So, explorers find it hard. Followers of Jesus as well sometimes struggle with Christ. There are many Christians, and I I say Christian within courts, who also find it hard to believe in hell. So I'm hoping this morning uh, to address some of the objections uh, that both groups of people might have. But let me just say something up front. If you do not believe in hell as a place for eternal punishment for unrepentance in us, then I have to say that our understanding of Christ himself is less than complete. It is impossible to truly believe in Jesus without also believing in hell. A lot of people who say, I believe in Jesus, I know Jesus to be true, I really love Jesus, but I think Jesus is so kind and so compassionate that he can never make something like hell. Like, well, if this is the case, if this is your stance, um, may I humbly suggest maybe you have suggested, maybe you have really believed in Christ. That might be true. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? So, yes, as I gave you fair warning last week, we will be speaking a fair bit about hell today. Uh, and I'd like to draw. Three specific things uh, out for us from this passage, specifically looking at branches that do not abide in Christ the wine, that wither away, that are gathered and thrown away into the fire. Three things. First, what did Jesus teach about hell? Second, the objection to hell, the most primary objection to hell that we all have at some level or the other. And third, if some branches are cut off and thrown into the fire, can believers of Christ slip up and go into hell? So hell, hell, and hell. All three points I have to do with hell. Get used, to it. Get used to it. What did Jesus teach about hell? The objection to hell. And if some branches are cut off and thrown into the fire, can believers of Christ really slip up and go to hell? Let's start with the first. What did Jesus teach about hell? If you read the four Gospels and the rest of the New Testament in the Bible, it would be impossible to ignore how extensively the Bible teaches and warns us of hell. We know the Bible was written by many different authors, all of them inspired by the Holy Spirit. Every single author of a book in the New Testament spoke about hell in some form or the other. There is not one author of the New Testament who did not make a direct reference to hell. A lot of people think that because Jesus was so kind and compassionate, he never spoke about hell. All these Christians who came later, they wanted to kill pure, cause among people, and they introduced this idea of hell. That is wrong. In fact, on the contrary, Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. And I'm going to give us a whole bunch of instances which are actually very closely connected with this passage, as you will see and each of these passages i'm going to walk us through have a very close resemblance with this passage in john chapter 15 in matthew chapter 13 jesus taught a parable of the weeds and there there was a farmer who sowed good seeds and uh, the enemy came and sowed some weeds and the weeds started growing among the good crop the servant of the farmer rushed rushed to the farmer and said there are weeds should i pull out the weeds and the farmer said no don't pull out the weeds if you pull off the weeds now, it might affect the good crop as well. When the time of harvest comes, the farmer said, we'll approve the weeds and the good crop. And this is what he said in Matthew chapter 10 verse 13 verse 13. Let it both grow together until the harvest and at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn." into my body.
1: In the same chapter, Jesus also
0: spoke about fishermen who came back with a catch of fish in their nets. And some were good fish, and some were bad fish. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 48, we see, When the net was full, the men drew the shore and sat down and sorted the good fish into containers and threw away the bad. Then again, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus taught the same message in three different ways. Parables, one after the other. First was a parable of ten virgins who were celebrating the arrival of a bridegroom in, in, into a wedding. Five of those virgins were well prepared to celebrate the arrival of, of the bridegroom and five weren't. The five who were prepared
1: were taken in with the bridegroom the five who were unprepared were shut out.
0: Second Jesus, in the same chapter of Matthew 25, Jesus taught about a master who gave his servants many many talents. And most of the servants used their talents well and they earned more talents than what Christ had given them and, and the master rewarded them. But one of the servants did not put the talent to use. He was not fruitful. He just hid the talent and when the master came back he gave it back. And to that servant the master said, Matthew 25 verse thirty, and cast the worthless servant into you know, the outer darkness in that place there will be weaky, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Third, in the same chapter, Jesus also spoke about sheep and, and, and goat being in the same flock. The sheep are those who are fruitful in Christ, the goats are not. The sheep are welcomed into heaven, and to the goats are unfruitful people, Jesus said. Then he will say to those on his left, the goats, Depart from me, you cursed, into
1: the eternal fire prepared with the devil and in Jesus. Matthew 25, verse 41.
0: Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. And even though Jesus spoke so much about the truth and the reality of hell, there are still a whole lot of objections about hell. And that's what we're going to look at next. The objections to hell. How can a good God create hell? How could a good God love anyone, love anyone to be punished eternally in hell? And to many of us, this seems just so unbelievable. And some of us even would go to the extent of saying, if this is the God who is, I don't want this God, I reject this idea of if a God is so cruel to allow human beings to suffer eternally forever in hell, I don't want to have anything to do with this. What kind of God is this? And that's a very common objection. So if you have those objections, let me indulge you for a little bit. Imagine there is no heaven. Imagine there is no heaven. Everybody um, goes to heaven. They, they just find a way to a happy place. Uh, you may not even call it heaven. And so you and I, and all of us, just what everyone on earth, uh, we find our way to this happy place, uh, we call it heaven, um, and uh, there you settle down, you move into a nice neighborhood, and you wake up one morning to find that your neighbor is a man who uh, trick trapped, and enslaved dozens of women in the sex trade in Kamathu. What would you say? You would say, this is injustice. This is so unfair. This man, you know, many of us have been into government for as part of our, our, our work in just helping this organization that we partner with. 15,000 women are there and trapped in the sex trade. And so, so many perpetrators. Uh, if there is no hell, if there is no justice, everybody makes it to hell. If there is no final judgment, If there is no place where those who escape punishment in this imperfect world escape forever, where is justice? Will we be happy with that kind of a world? See, if we do not believe in hell, we cannot believe in justice. We all know that in this world, justice is not perfect. It is not complete. It is incomplete in every system, as efficient as it may be. So if we don't believe in hell, we cannot with any integrity also believe in justice. If you really, let me flip that rod, if you really believe there must be justice, the wicked those who oppress and wrong others must be punished. If you truly believe in justice, you cannot dismiss the idea of a holy God creating a hell to bring forth justice. That was all philosophy. Let me, let, me, let me put it another way.
1: As we think and wrestle with this biblical idea of hell.
0: If you really think about it, hell is quite often a choice that humans make. I find this character from G.R. Tolkien's masterpiece, *The Lord of the Rings*, very, very helpful in understanding hell and in communicating it. Uh, some of you may have heard me use this illustration before, but it's such a helpful one. Uh, in *The Lord of the Rings*, there was this hobbit named Sméagol, and this is what Sméagol looked like: chubby, and happy, and he spent—he was a hobbit. And he spent the early years of his life happily with his extended family. One uh, one day on his Smeagol's birthday, he and his relative—I think it was his cousin—I'm not an expert. A lot of rings some of you are experts. If I'm wrong, please correct me later. Uh, and he and his relative Teegle, Smeagol and Teegle went fishing, and they were playing off by the riverbank. If you remember the scene from the movie, it's such a beautiful, joyous time, very eye there's a beautiful stream, it green lush everywhere. And there as they were playing and fishing, Teagle found a ring in the riverbed. Smeagol immediately fell under the ring's influence and he demanded it from Teagle as a birthday gift. When Teagle refused, overcome by his desire for the ring, Smeagol strangled his friend Teagle to death and he stole And Smeagol
1: began carrying the ring wherever he went. He began referring to the ring as
0: my precious, precious, precious. He was consumed by the ring. He was addicted to it. He was was completely obsessed with the ring. And in love with the ring, completely controlled by the ring, he began to withdraw from other hobbies. He began to withdraw from his family, from his friends. And he wandered into the wilderness for a few years until he retreated in solitude to a deep cavern in the misty mountains. Spiegel did not want anything else
1: except
0: that ring. And the ring's malignant influence twisted his body and his mind and prolonged his life way beyond its natural limits. And after centuries and
1: centuries of being enslaved to the ring, the influence of the ring twisted
0: Smeagol's body and mind. And under the terrible and unyielding grip of the ring, Smeagol turned into God. Same person. The chubby and the happy Smeagol turned into an utterly devilish. As Tolkien narrated, Gollum had come to love and hate the ring just as he loved and hated himself. I think that's a pretty accurate description of some the way we connect with some things in the world.
1: Gollum is a good illustration
0: of what human beings, of how human beings, of what human beings will degenerate into in hell. You see, Smeagol had a choice give up the ring. But he made the choice over centuries to gradually slip into a hellish existence. He could have given the ring, given up the ring at any point in time and remained a harlot, but he chose to hang on to the ring, even if that meant degenerating into a hellish monster. Hell is a choice ring. He wanted the ring even though that would turn him into gold. He chose to go to hell with the ring rather than live without it. What if hell is a choice we make? What if it's a product of our choices? What is the consequence of our choices? As C.S. Lewis captured this beautifully, uh, it's very rarely you get to poet's. Kemp and Lewis in the same service join the so. And Lewis captured it beautifully. He said, the gates of hell are locked on the inside. The gates of hell are locked on the inside. If you remember the description, how the way Jesus described hell in Matthew 25, he said it's a place of darkness where there's a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping is, of course weeping, in in, in the pain of the punishment. But the gnashing of teeth indicates anger. Theologian R.C. Sproul, he puts it like this. Those cast into the outer darkness gnash their teeth, meaning in hell, meaning that their unjust anger at their Lord for their just punishment grows intense. It is their anger, it is their anger at the just, at the justice of God, at the holiness of God, that holds the doors of heaven from the inside. This means they are angry at God and remain unrepentant. And that's what Lewis meant when he said, gates of hell are also locked on the inside. What if hell is a choice? I'm sure everyone has experienced it. I'm sure everyone has experienced at least one moment in our lives when we become aware that the choices we have made have turned our lives into a hell. Everyone. and want justice, and want fairness in this world, want human rights in this world, and, and yet not want the justice, permanent, eternal, complete, total uh, justice. So the objections to have are not really formed And that brings us to the third thing that we will make in be considering, uh, today. If some branches are cut off and thrown into the fire, can believers of Christ slip up and go to the head, burn it talks about branches in the wine. And you see the parallel in all the other passages we read. We will come to that in a minute. And this passage should make some of us very uncomfortable. Does this mean that if a believer does not remain in Christ, he does not bear fruit, he or she does not bear fruit, and he or she backslides, will that person find himself of herself in hell. Will a believer, is that what this passage is suggesting, will a believer who backslides go to hell? Broadly speaking, there are two theological views. Uh, There's one view which holds that yes, it is possible for someone who was once a believer to completely renounce his faith to backslide and go to hell. Uh, It is possible for a believer once saved to lose his salvation. That's one theological view. It's often referred to as the immediate view. The second view was that no, this is not possible. God will never
1: ever allow
0: a true believer, someone whose faith is indeed true, someone who's indeed been regenerated by the Holy Spirit to faith in Jesus, that God will never allow a true believer to follow Him. So it is impossible for a true believer, for a real believer to lose his or her salvation. This is often referred to as a doctrine of, of the perseverance of saints. And this is the reformed at UC, we hold the reformed view. We say that if someone's truly a believer, in that person, you could never lose salvation. Explain, explain why we hold that. View. And as we keep saying, there are some primary doctrines, and there are secondary doctrines. You can be part of UC, you can be a member of UC, even and believing whatever you wish on the secondary doctrines. Global Church has two different views, and so. If you're a member, we're not going to force you to come alongside and alike without you on the secondary doctrine. It's the primary doctrine of course is the gospel articulated for us in, in beautiful ways in the Nicene Creed of the Apostles. Secondary doctrines are many things that the global church is divided do, on. This is one of them. You can be a member and have your view. Uh, all leaders of the New City, we hold, we share one uh, one. Piece. And so, now we have to reconcile, we have to kind of really work our way through this passage. What does this passage mean when branches are cut away, fall away, cut away and thrown into the fire? One of the most uh, basic and most helpful principles uh, as we read any passage in the Bible is to kind of make sure that we read it in the light of the whole Bible. Only then can we understand every passage correctly. Every passage has to be understood in the context of the whole Bible. The Bible, which is God's word, will never contradict itself. And so if this passage seems to contradict the rest of the Bible, it's just that we haven't understood it correctly. So let me kind of unpack that a little bit. There are a whole bunch of passages in the Bible that gives us great assurance, un, in no uncertain terms, great assurance that we can never lose our salvation. John chapter 10, verses 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said, and I know that they follow me, I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Those whom God predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And justified is referring to salvation, coming to faith in Jesus. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And glorified is referring to eternal life. So everyone whom Christ has truly justified will have eternal life in Christ. Nobody is going to get lost in cancer. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The perseverance of saints in that, in that sense is the work of grace, is the work of Christ on us. It's not our works. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7 to 8. Our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's undoubtedly a whole body of biblical evidence that the Lord Jesus, who, who saved us, who justified us, will sustain till the very end every true believer. And we will all receive the gift of eternal life. And this is a grand great and a glorious assurance that we all have, all believers in Christ have. But there is also a chilling warning in this passage. What really does this passage mean when it says that branches that do not remain in Christ the true wine and do not bear fruit will be cut off, thrown into the fire and burned? What exactly does that mean? Who is this talking about? What kind of people is this talking about? Who are the branches that are thrown into the fire. To answer this question, I need to take us back to all the parables that we ran through quickly today, where Jesus spoke about hell. There was one common theme, if you notice, in all of those parables. All the ten virgins were together; only five were really saved. The good crop, the good crop, and the wheat were in the same field, in one farm only the good crop was kept, the bad crop, the weeds were burnt. The good fish and the bad fish
1: were in one net. Only the good fish were kept, the bad
0: fish were thrown. The sheep and the goat were in one flock. Only the sheep were saved, the goats were not. And there are branches in Christ the wine, but only the wine that abide in Christ bears fruit, they say it the rest are burnt. Here, yeah. Is the chilling warning. Not everyone in a church who think they are saved are actually saved. One flock in every one of these parables, one group of people, one group are actually saved, one group are surprised that they're not, they're not saved. The chilling warning in this passage that not everyone in the same church, not everyone in any church, who think they are saved, are indeed saved. We have to see all of these parables also in the context of the church. Just like all of these parables that Jesus taught in the church has two kinds of people. People who are really saved, who Christ will prove so that they bear more food, as we saw last week. And the second group of people are people who think they are saved, who think they are connected to the wine, who think they are part of the flock, but they are not actually saved. The branches
1: that were burnt
0: were in a fake connection, fake attachment to Christ. Why? They were never really attached to Christ. They only gave the impression themselves and to others, but not to God, that they were attached to Christ, the true wife.
1: In other words, true believers
0: will never lose their salvation, but those who completely backslide and fall away were never really believers in the first place. And there is again scriptural, solid scriptural evidence for this view. John himself clarifies this for us in one John chapter two, verse nineteen. They went out from us, John is referring to people who left the faith, who left the church. They went out from us but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. John is saying the people who left the faith were never really believers in the first place. The connection with Christ was not real. So, John is explaining being cut off, the branches. What he said in John 15, in a way, is kind of explaining here. This, is, this, is, this is throw light, throws light on that passage. So, John is explaining being cut off, being thrown out, as not being part of us, part of out the wine in the first place. will look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone, this Jesus says, it's not parables. parables, it's something real that Jesus is accounting." He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, the day of the judgment, Jesus said, many will say to me, Lord God, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty words in your name? And then, Jesus says, said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There are many people in the church, in any church, who would give the appearance of being true believers, but their faith is not really true. These will fall away, not because believers can lose their salvation, but because those who so fall away, they never believers us in the, of the first place. And we see that because of the grand assurance that we have. Jesus. And so the chilling warning for all of us in this passage, a question that we cannot ignore, we must ask ourselves: Am I really saved? Am I truly in union with Christ Jesus? This picture of the Christ names, of Christ the one, and us the branches, invite us to see this. Deal with the reality of our union with Christ. And this union is accomplished. This eternal union of Christ and us, is bride, is accomplished not by anything that we have done or not done. Not by anything that we have not done, that we had need to do or we failed to do. None of that. It is accomplished purely by the work of God's grace burning in our hearts, faith in Jesus. And when we hearts, when this faith in Christ Jesus is really real, when we know deep in our hearts that we are in union with Christ and by the Holy Spirit who resides in us, we're able to
1: cry out our
0: Father, enjoying our sonship and daughtership with God, our Heavenly Father. When that assurance is there, Nothing
1: can shake us. Sure, every believer, every pastor even, is going to go through some dark days of the
0: soul. There will be times when our faith will be tested. There will be times
1: when everyone, our faith will be weak. There will be times when we will drift away from Christ
0: and we will be indifferent to Him. As the sin that remains in us, God sanctifies us in His mysterious, solid ways, allowing different life situations someone who's a true believer, God will help him find a way back to Christ. So this morning, as I close in prayers and go into communion, I want to really invite us to just take a moment of reflection and consider the fruit that Christ has produced in us. fruit? by fruit, I don't mean ministry, I don't mean things we do. Love, joy, hope, joy in the face of difficult situations, joy in Is he the supreme joy? Is he the supreme love of our hearts? Is he the creative longing of our souls? Sure, we're all distracted. But do we keep coming back to Christ over and over again, finding joy and forgiveness and strength and sanctification? I want to just close with a couple of thoughts for those of us who are followers of Jesus. I think it's a passage
1: we must consider and then cry out to God
0: to draw us closer to Him. If you are who we would call an explorer, someone who is not yet a follower of Christ, you hear a friend inviting you, you're just checking our Jesus. you're getting to know a little bit more about Jesus. And I know all of this might have been just, just too much for you in, in one way. But I want to invite you to just consider believe Him to be a good person, a good man, someone who's loving, someone who's compassionate, someone who stood for justice, someone who stood for the weak, stood for the oppressed. Remember that Jesus was crucified because He claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus taught more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. Would you consider this Jesus? Would you give this Christ the attention Father, we worship you. Uh, Lord, I know it's a a sobering uh, passage. And uh, we want to acknowledge the way we are, but we want to acknowledge even more so the great
1: hope and assurance of eternal salvation. Jesus said, no one can
0: pluck my fault from who began a good work in us will bring it to completion in Christ Christ Jesus. Those whom God called, He justified and those whom He justified, He glorified. Nobody, not one person, Lord, is is going to be lost in transit. We thank you for this great assurance and we pray by faith in the name of Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, would every one of us be partakers of this great assurance. When every one of us here, explorers and followers of Christ alike, receive the gift of faith by your Holy Spirit, that we might truly enjoy
1: and come to experience from the depths of this heart, this grand assurance of salvation that only Christ Jesus can give us. Thank you, Father. We worship you. In Jesus' name.